I invite you to open your Bible to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Pastor Melanie just read it. And we consider the wise words of Solomon on wealth. You know, Solomon was a wealthy, wealthy, wealthy man. He made about $700 million a year for 40 years. And he was worth somewhere around $100 billion because he had other interests and incomes as well. So he's a very wealthy man. The scripture would tell us that he asked God for wisdom. He was an incredibly wise man. And so we read and learn much about him from his wisdom, his proverbs, his insights on living. And as we grow by the knowledge, we come into this part of where he is in Ecclesiastes, and he wants to speak to us about the idea of wealth. I think he's qualified to say something. So as I've read through Ecclesiastes a couple times in the recent weeks and months, I've really drawn into what he's had to say. And on this part, I think he says something very important to us. Now, before you would choose to tune me out and say, well, I don't really care what Solomon says about wealth. I don't have any. I'm just trying to make it through the day or into next week or whatever. Let me remind you of something. If you have, if you have a place to go after this, a house, a roof over your head, if you have running water, if you have a change of clothes, if you have an idea of where you're going to eat and what you're going to eat after we get through here, if you have people in your life that love you, if you know where there's a spigot you can turn on or motion your hands and get some water, you're wealthy. You're in the top wealthiest people of the world. And it's absolutely amazing how sometimes we forget that because we have so much and we think we are owed so much whenever really we're probably not owed as much as we think we are. Billy and Ruth Graham were in the Caribbean and while they were there, they visited with several people. Two particular guys that they highlighted were 75-year-old men. The first, they had a meal with, sat down with him, and they listened to him. And he said to them, he said, I have a yacht over there that can take me any place I want to go. I have access to any plane, any helicopter that would be in the area. They will take me anywhere I want to go. But he says, I am absolutely miserable with my life. I'm not enjoying it. How could I enjoy my life? And they told him about Jesus Christ. And they prayed with him. Sometime later in their visit there, they met up with another guy, 75. He happened to be a pastor. And he said to them, he said, I am the happiest man on the island. Now, his wife had just passed away recently. Maybe that brought him happiness, I'm not sure. But he had taken care of two sisters who had been, who had been bedridden. And he said, I don't have $2 to my name, but I am the happiest. And in their writing about this, Billy Graham said, I asked my wife, Ruth, which do you think is the most happy? The guy with all the things or the guy with nothing? He said she didn't have to answer because we already knew. In Ecclesiastes 5, verses 5 through 20, we're going to highlight three insights about wealth that show us how we can be satisfied in our situation in life. This has been a real journey for myself because early on I had a real desire to acquire. 
I'm the spender, Pam's the saver. And having a desire to acquire meant that you, you wanted things. You wanted to get things. I didn't mind shopping. As a matter of fact, I probably could shop more than she could and go more places and find all kinds of bargains and things like that. She really wasn't worried about it. But to get away from everything else sometimes, even like this week, I'll take a walk through the mall. I like people. I like to see people. There's some really weird people around, you know. (laughs) Excuse me. There are some really weird people. At least that's what they said when they saw me. And so um, they probably thought I was. But I know this about all of us. It's, it's not really the standard of living that bothers us. It's our own personal standard of living. And it was a glad day whenever God took me through a process to teach me, I'm going to give you everything you need and you don't have to have any more than I give you. And it changed me. It changed how I looked at life. It changed how I appreciate what others have. And I began to live my life a lot differently. I began to live my life with an open hand toward others to help them out and not worry so much about helping myself out. It's been a wonderful transformation. In verses 10 through 17, he talks about the dangers for the wealthy. If you love money, you will never have enough. We used to hold a gigantic, enormous, big two-day yard sale here. It was big. James Igenfus was director of the missions in and said, Pastor, it's just junk, almost all of it. But I was amazed at the number of people that were happy to find junk. And how I watched some of them on the last day when you went to the $3 box or the dollar box. I watched a lady between the two buildings before we had the connector standing there acting like she was She was uh, fiddling with her box, waiting on the clock to change so she could take her stuff to buy it. And I thought to myself, she has a box of junk, but that lady is absolutely captured by the love of it. If you love money, you will never have enough. Look at verse 10. If you love your wealth, you'll never be satisfied with your income. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament puts it this way, I think interestingly. He says in 1 Timothy 6 and 10, a passage we often quote and probably do it with a wrong intent, but let's look at it just for a moment. He says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money, he goes ahead to explain, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I was over at a particular Turkey Hill, not here, but another one. And once in a while, there'll be somebody ahead of you in line at a place like that buying a lot of lottery tickets. And that was the case with me. And so I was waiting for the person to end. And then it was my turn. And I said, what's the largest lottery ticket you've sold out of here? And they said, um, it was over 100,000, about 120,000 out of one of the Turkey Hills. And I said, wow, what happened to the person that won that? They said, well, they won that in about December or so, and they were broke in February. I said, well, what broke them? And they said, well, they came back in here and they bought a brick of lottery tickets thinking they would win another. 
But in that brick, they just gave back to the fund and won very, very little. And now they're broke. This is what he's talking about. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith, pierced themselves with many griefs. Verse 11, as wealth increases, so do those who want to consume it. Have you ever heard of sports figure getting uh, interviewed? And they say, you know what, when I signed that big contract, when I signed that big contract, I found relatives I didn't even know were kin to me. <laughs> they came in wanting to get a hold of some of my millions. Or somebody that's won the lottery will say, people are coming, your tax consultant wants some, your tax advisor, your accountant, your lawyers, your household employees, sponging relatives will like it, charities will want it, government taxes, everybody wants a piece, right? Look at verse 12. The abundance of the rich takes away their sleep. I've talked to business owners, and we have a lot of business owners in this church, and I've talked to some of them. And I remember a particular conversation years ago one of them gave to me, and I, I found it interesting. They said, you know what? My employees sleep better than I do. I worry about are we going to have enough jobs to be able to keep them busy and keep food on their table. I'm running around always trying to get contracts for us. And they said, they eat better than I do because they can digest their food. I eat a nervous eat. And I thought, wow, Solomon talks about it right here in this passage. And then he describes the grievous evil side of wealth in verses 13 through 17. Look at what he says in 13. He talks about the wealth of the hoarder. Have you ever met a miser? Are some of you misers? I don't know if you are or not, but you do. Or maybe you don't. Maybe you don't even realize that about yourself. Maybe you need to have a conversation with one of your real close friends who can speak life into you and say, am I miserly in my approach to life? Do I live with a really tight fist or do I ever open my fingers up a little bit? Earl Wilson, our general superintendent, for many, many years used to say, Dr. Wilson, he said, some of the folks in Dutchland, <laughs> he pastored out here, he said they still have the imprint of the very first penny they ever earned on their finger. Maybe in another church where he pastored, probably not here. He didn't really pastor here, but he spoke here a lot, didn't he? In verse 14, he says, wealth is lost through misfortune and bad gain. And then he says in verse 16 and 17, the wealthy person works hard, makes a lot. And he said, one of the grievous sides of this is they spend their money on stuff that really isn't worth anything. The house you buy today that is so new and shiny eventually becomes someone else's maintenance project. This is a pretty new building that we're in. It's still in great shape. But someday this is going to be a maintenance project for the generation that follows us. It's what it will be. And so Warren Wearsby, great writer, put it this way. I like it. He said this. It's good to have the things that money can't buy, provided you don't lose the things money cannot buy. In a commencement address, Ted Turner, and one of my friends is friends with him, Ted gave a commencement address, and he said, though he is a multi-billionaire, he said to the audience out in front of him, he said, it's all relative. It's all relative. Say, so I sit down, he said, and think I've only got $10 billion, and Bill Gates has $100 billion. He said, I feel like a failure when I do that. 
So he admonished those people in the audience. He said this, so don't let yourself get caught in the trap of measuring your success by how much material success you have. If I stopped my message this morning, I hope you would have gained some kind of insight that you could feel like you could take home with you to think about today. But I'm not quite done. Let's look at the delights of the wealthy. Solomon speaks on, let's listen on. Verses 18 through 20 talk about this. In verse 18, he says this, it is best for a person to have all they need and to enjoy their work while in this life. I talked to someone the other day at the district conference who said, you know what, I really don't feel like I work a day of my life. I love what I'm doing. And since I love what I'm doing, it gives me a lot of energy and I appreciate what I'm doing. And they pay me to do it. It's a wonderful thing. Verse 19, if you're satisfied and if God has given you a lot of wealth, look at this. It is a gift from God if God gives wealth and possessions. It's a gift that he has given to you and he enables a person to enjoy them and accept their station in life. If God has given you the ability to make money, don't be embarrassed about it. If he has given you the ability to purchase a nice home, that's great, enjoy it. If you drive something that is beautiful and something you've always wanted, I think it is fantastic. Someone that sends a second service has a nice beautiful Corvette they roll out of here with. The other day, they and I were some of the last people to leave this place. I flagged them down and I said, stop! Of course, they thought I would preach them in a lecture or a message, you know. And I said, could I see your cool ride? Can you please pop the hood? You want to get in? I said, no, I don't want to contaminate it. But I said, this is absolutely a beautiful ride. Well, you know, and they started apologizing. And I said, would you just stop? I'm a motorhead. I like cars. And I said, I really admire this ride that you have. And I am so stinking happy that you have the capacity to buy it and to drive it, enjoy it, and don't let anyone look down on you thinking that you're something else. Just go ahead and enjoy because I know your heart is very generous and God knows you can be trusted with this. Look at verse 20. The wealthy person can be very busy doing very good things. Very good things. We hear at Christmas time about the secret Santa giving the $100 bills to people. You may not have a $100 bill, but you know if you stay in a hotel, you can tip generously, leave it on the counter when you leave. They're going to wipe up the toilet you use, the sink you brush your teeth in. That's all gross. And if they're going to do something like that, why in a frog here wouldn't you tip them? They're going to make your bed, clean your bed, change your sheets, all that kind of stuff. Do you tip? You tip, right? You know you should, right? And so the other day I had some bills with me and I started thinking and I'd seen the lady that cleaned the room and I said, well, that's not enough. And I felt prompted inside my heart, I need to give her bigger. And I put down a bigger bill just because I felt like it needed to happen. There's a particular diner that Pam and I walk into and I'm not a rich man. There's a particular diner where Pam and I walk into, I can see the waitresses start buzzing when we walk in because they know whoever table we're sitting at, they're going to get a good tip. It's not life altering, but it's enough to boost their spirits. And some people meagerly put out their just skin flint it. And why don't you give something like you're a BWCer? If you can't afford to tip, don't go to that restaurant. Go to the one down the street somewhere else. Good, good style for living, Kev, keep going, baby. Second Corinthians 9 and 11. You will be made rich in every good way, Paul says, so that you can be generous in every good occasion. And through your generosity, 
will result in thanksgiving to God. This is the opening video. We have the ability to give generously. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, it says this. This is a beautiful passage. It said, but godliness, that is, a heart that has a clear conscience and walks humbly before God. We'll define it that way. With contentment is great gain. There's a, there's a market in Mexico City, and there was a guy named Pata Lamo. And American tourists had gone down to see the city and had gone through the market, and while walking through the market, had come to this stand, and he had these strands of onions, these red onions, and so he had these strands of them. And so the American tourist said, how much for a strand? He said, 10 cents. He said, how much for two? He said, 20 cents. He said, I see you have 20. How much for the whole lot? He said, I won't sell you the whole lot. He said, why won't you sell me the whole lot? He said, it's too early in the day. He said, I don't come here to sell onions. I come here to watch the palm trees blow, to hear the noise of the people walking by to meet up with my friends and talk about their life. And if I sell all of these now, you have stolen all of that from me. He said, I'll sell you one if you want it. I'll sell you two, but I won't sell all of them. He enjoyed what he was doing, the delights of the wealthy. And then Solomon says this in verse 15. He talks about the destination of the wealthy. Much in the Bible is said about wealth. Some people get a little uncomfortable when a minister lifts a thought about wealth. But do you realize there's much more said about wealth than almost any other subject in the Bible? There's a whole lot about wealth in some way or another. John D. Rockefeller was age 53. And he was a miserable, broken person. And he was the world's only billionaire at the time, or at least known billionaire. And he was so sick that he was living on crackers and milk. He could not sleep. Do you know why he couldn't sleep? He was worried. He was absolutely worried. And then he found the idea of generosity, of giving. And he began to give away. And as he started giving away, his health began to return. A radical change in his health. And he lived until he was 98. And he came away with this saying, the poorest person I know is the one who has nothing but money. Maybe we shouldn't always measure our wealth by our money. Some of you have wonderful people in your family that are beautiful lives, and you're wealthy because they are your friends. They speak to you. They act normal around you. Even if you're not always normal, they act normal around you. And it's a wonderful privilege to be able to be around them and spend time with them. You have a job to go to. You live in the country you live in. It's absolutely wonderful. A cranky old man had gone to visit a rabbi, and when he got to his house, the rabbi was thinking, how in the world could I help this guy? Good grief. He seems to be grumpy and grouchy about everything in life. And the thing about his life seems to be wrapped up just in himself. And so the rabbi got up and walked across the room, and he said, come over here and look out the window. And they looked out the window, and when they looked out, he said, now tell me what you see. I see a man walking along. There's a lady and some kids. They're playing ball over there. I see the trees and the leaves. It's a beautiful day outside. Then he said, come over here. And he took him back across the room. And there they looked in the mirror. And he said, now what do you see? And the old man just said, all I see is me. And he said, it's amazing. 
There's a glass window there. There's a glass window here. The only difference, we added silver behind this one. Now your focus has changed. Just because you have a little bit of money, your whole focus begins to change. What's the destination of the wealthy? Well, I believe the destination of the wealthy in this congregation is that we have our heart set on Christ. And he is the Lord of everything in our life. And he's even the Lord of our money, whatever amount we have. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, Jesus said it this way. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, her moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Anybody ever had a thief break into your home? I have. Anybody ever had that happen? Not a fun feeling, is it? They steal. But instead, he said, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. It'd be worth going to heaven just for that, wouldn't it? It is absolutely amazing, he says. Everything you have down here will deteriorate. But if you'll lay your treasure up in there, well, how do you do that? Through being kind to other people, through being generous to other people, through helping other people out. We have the opportunity to do that. You and I will be rewarded in heaven, whether we give out of the little we have or we give out of the great amount we have. I remember hearing people say, going to old-time church camp meetings, you remember going to some of those? If you went to them, you do remember them. You have different sort of settings and smells that come to your mind, and life experiences and some very good, hopefully, spiritual memories that come. But I think there's something interesting about there. One of the old things they used to do was raise money, and uh, they would raise money. How many of you would give $1,000? You know, they start off with a higher number like that. I remember hearing about a family that had a son. He was quite remedial. He said, hold on, folks. They'll come down <laughs> when they asked for $1,000. He, he, knew, he knew the drill. <laughs> so I remember somebody saying to me one time, said, I felt so embarrassed because I knew I could not give much. And all the people in the audience were giving big numbers at least in the mind of this person. They felt embarrassed about it. Well, you don't have to be embarrassed. Just give out of what you have. And who you are is good enough. And what you drive is all right. And where you live is cool enough. It's okay. You don't have to be somebody else. You don't have to try to match everybody. And one of the biggest things we do as young people is try to match up the wealth of what it's taken our parents 30 and 40, 50 years to accumulate. What in the world is wrong with us? Let's just go ahead and be who we are. It's okay. Given permission and blessing to be yourself. Look at verse 15. He says this about the destination. They came into this world naked, and when they die, they will be just as naked. They can't take anything with them, and they won't have anything to show for all their work. Paul says it this way in 1 Timothy 6, 7 and 8. We read from verse 6 earlier. Let's look at 7 and 8. We didn't bring anything into this world. We won't take anything with us when we leave. So we should be satisfied just to have the clothes we have. John Wesley, from whom Methodism and Wesleyanism was founded in its early days, he was a very generous man, giving away several hundred thousand dollars through his lifetime, possibly as much as a million. He said this, I judge all things only by the price they will gain in eternity. Dave Ramsey, a great financial guru, put it this way. We should hold our money with an open hand instead of a closed fist. I've alluded to it several times, and I've said it to you in the past. It is a whole lot more fun to give your money while you're living 
so you are knowing where it is going. It's a whole lot more fun to be able to do that kind of thing. You listened so kindly this morning. Now I close with this. Several men who had some money had a membership in a very wealthy exercise club. It was a private club. And they had a lot of their friends around there. And a, a cell phone rang. Nobody was quite there by it, but it rang. And finally somebody moved, of course. The man moved and picked up the phone. And when he picked up the phone, on the other end, there was a voice that said, Honey, it's me. I'm two blocks from the mall. But I just want you to know that I saw that gorgeous mink coat. It's only $1,500. Do you mind if I go ahead and get that? Well, if it means that much to you, no more than that, go ahead and do it. Well, I also stopped by that Mercedes dealership the other day, and I saw the one that we liked and we talked about. Well, if it has all the bells and whistles that you wanted, how much was it? It's 95000 Go ahead and get it. That's fine. Make sure it has those options we talked about, the same one. It could be a different one. Make sure. Well, I also, well, I just want to tell you one more thing. While I was driving around, while you've been at the club, I saw that magnificent beachfront home that we wanted. Fits all of our needs. It's only for about 750000 would you mind if we put in an offer on it? Oh, no, I don't mind at all. How about you offer seven twenty-five and see how that goes? Okay, sweetie, I love you. I'll see you later. Okay, I love you too. He hung up the phone. And he said, does anybody know whose phone <laughs> this is? Some of you need to loosen up your pocketbook today and bless somebody. Bless the church. Bless one of your kids. Bless a neighbor. Bless a family at the church with a green handshake. Folded money, give it to them. Nobody knows you did it. Shake hands with them. It goes from your hand to theirs and blesses their life. Listen to the Spirit. All you own will be left behind someday. Do what you hope you will have done later with it now. Thank you, Jesus, for letting us be together. In your name, we love you. And we thank you that Solomon talked about so many different things. They included this. And Lord, we have been made better by hearing these words today, no doubt, because they are words that you want us to hear. You've recorded them in your scripture through inspiration of your spirit. And we thank you for your word, a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. And as we continue to walk in your way, Lord, I pray that you would guide each one of us to be the blessing that we can be in this great, great land of plenty, even with gas prices, what they are, in Jesus' name, amen.